This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, I I feel like off the top of Cardinals Underground, just because it is August, just because the preseason has started, that there are legal liabilities that exist that mandate we have a preseason disclaimer of sorts, Darren Urban. Something that goes along the lines of, and since you have no idea what I'm talking about, I just feel, feel the need to cite that once upon a time, the Detroit Lions went undefeated in the preseason. Do you know their record that regular season? Well, I can't say for sure that's the only time they've ever gone undefeated in the preseason, but if you're referring to their 0-16 regular season year, yes, they were undefeated in the preseason. Yes. Thank you for working with me, I'm trying. I'm doing what I can. Off the top here of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I just feel like we need to absolve ourselves of any legal liabilities for anything we might say here in the preseason, in the month of August, because once again, the games don't count, but it doesn't mean they don't matter. Old takes exposed is always listening, Paul. That's right. So, there, for example, um, things that we see, things that we think we've seen, and then information that we seek out. I got the answer to a Cards Camp mystery within the last 24 hours that I've been wondering about. Just a curiosity, I guess, would be a better description. I'm of dying it. to know what it might be. What exactly does Chandler Jones weigh? What is his playing <laughs> weight right now? You laugh. You scoff. I do laugh. Could you not hear me? I, I mean, did you're laugh. doing a dramatic reenactment of Ron Wolfley on the sideline when I brought up this issue. Okay. Uh, a couple of years ago when he got off to a slow start, I think it was his 17-sack season. If you remember the first few games, um, it was the plus size, Chandler Jones. He, he was closer to 280. And then as soon as he lost some of the weight, boom, he went off. He had near a record-setting sack season. Well, you tell me, Darren Urban, the moment you saw Chandler Jones out on that field, did you not think, wow, he looks in great shape? Well, I mean, you would think so. I mean, he is playing for a contract, and usually that's, that's one of those first things that the players do. You control what you can control, and certainly being in the best shape you can be. I do, I do remember, I know he came in heavier uh, one year in 2018 on purpose because Steve Wilkes wanted him to be a little bit bigger. That might have been the year, actually. And that didn't go very well. But no. that, that was because they asked him to do that, and I think he knew right away that that wasn't going to work very well. That's true. And you know what? That, that is an apt reminder and a, a clarification on my earlier observation. Remember maybe when you were in second or third grade and the school teacher would put the jar of jelly beans? And I did not weigh 280 in second grade, Paul. And have everybody take a guess as to how many jelly yes. beans – what do you think Chandler Jones' playing weight is right here, right now, Cards Camp 2021? Take a guess. Because I got the answer. Oh, you do have the answer. Source is very close to number 55. Tell me. I'm going to go with 253. Mm, that's Wow, that's bold. That's light. I think that would be the lightest in his career. He's at 264 right now. Okay, so I'm wrong. So uh, I, I just – but to me, 
I mean, he looks. It's the way he he wears yes. the two sixty four though. Yes, and uh, you know. I, he has been impressive in these camps. You know, you're not going to see him in the preseason, I don't think at all, perhaps. Maybe in game number three. Maybe it's just a gut feel, just a guess. See, we, we were talking about that, though, Paul, and I don't want to get derailed here, but, I mean, game three is on artificial turf. I'm, I, I'm very leery about that. Yeah, that is true. Although a lot of teams, and we talked about this, are treating preseason game number three this year just like they've always treated preseason yeah. game number three, just because there's such a gap between the final preseason game and the start of the regular season. But uh, I just, you know, that's just one uh, intriguing curiosity I've had and a camp uh, cards camp mystery salt off the uh, very top. So, uh, so we'll you, see. you, you, you have sources at the highest levels. If you're getting weights like that, um, it's just, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, it was something I was, I was trying to uh, discern as to exactly where he was in, in the process, if you will. So uh, look, there you go. Uh, here we are. And I'm curious, you know, when you look at what went down on Friday night in that win at the very end, first off, it was good to be on the winning side of a Matt Prater game-ending field goal, was it not? Hey, bottom line is the Cardinals get the big win. Uh, I believe the Diamondbacks won that night and got a no-hitter the next night. Yes. Clearly, yep. we've wiped the uh, the palate of the uh, Valley fans after the finals loss, and they're all feeling good about yep. victories again. You know what I think it is? I think it's the humidity. I was doing – did I mention that I emceed this breakfast with Roger Goodell recently as I do the name dropper portion of Cardinals Underground? You might have, but you're going to do it again. So. Roger and his deadpan humor, minus the uh, leather armchair, by the way, which is on display currently in the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Roger Goodell at one point made a joke about the weather in Arizona, and he just said, where's this dry heat I've heard about? If you look to your right here in this lovely loft at uh, State Farm Stadium, yeah. look at the condensation That's true. on the front of the refrigerator here in the loft. It's the humidity. I don't know about your yard, but the growth at Casa Calvisi is off the hook. I've had plants that I thought were dead for two years that have come back. And I think maybe there's a metaphor there for Cardinals Camp 2021. What do you think about that, Darren? It's something you could use maybe as a lead to one of your stories, just about the humidity. The humidity making the Cardinals yeah. relevant again? Is no, that what you're and, saying? And the growth, and maybe it spurred a gro- you know, it's a growth spurt yeah. in Valley Sports here in August. Uh, I, I guess just, that's better you know, than saying they're just sweating more at training camp. <laughs> maybe. Although, uh, you know, don't get the old-timers in here because they don't notice any sweat going on no. at, at these kind of training camps. Uh, you know, give me a few takeaways from the 1916 win against Dallas. I'm guessing you're going to start with a draft class. I, I am, although you said the 1916 win. I'm like, were the Cow- Cowboys and oh, Cardinals no. playing in 1916? No. Did I? See, that's I what happens that when, you're, when you're saying one thing and you're looking at something yeah. else on your phone. I mean, how do you not look at the rookie class, Paul? I mean, ultimately, um, you know, the results don't matter. Uh, Kyler Murray doesn't play. And so the first thing you're thinking is these young players, and most of them are rookies. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, how much impact is Rondale Moore going to have on the offense this year? How much impact can Zayvon Collins and even Isaiah Simmons have in the middle of that defense? And, and even Eno Benjamin, who's a guy who there's so many fans that are desperate to uh, see him uh, going forward as – a functioning part of the team will maybe even just get dressed once, which he wasn't last year. Uh, and I thought he showed some things. So, I mean, those are the, those are the things that I noticed. I mean, they could have gotten whacked on the scoreboard and I still would have, those are the things I would have looked at. And I thought those were probably the best things again, within the prism of it's the first preseason game and yada, yada, yada. I mean, the fact that we can have a legitimate debate right here, right now as to which draft pick acquitted himself the best 
that says it all. It's a good me. sign. I mean, we could legitimately argue. Did Zayvon Collins have a better first showing or Rondell Moore or Marco Wilson? Marco Wilson had a very good game. I saw the pro football focus grades, and yeah. he was the second highest defender after uh, Byron Murphy. They said he had six targets, three forced incompletions, which for all the analytics, I'm sorry, that's still a subjective rating system that goes into a formula. I mean, there's still subjectivity that of goes into the is. formula. But there's subjectivity when the coaches look at the tape, too. Sure. So. so, you know, so as opposed to Tay Gowan, who had five targets. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff you just can't get not to that degree not to that level of competitiveness as hard as you go into practice nothing is going to replicate those game atmospheres albeit a preseason game and yes everything was vanilla for the most part although as drew stan pointed out more than once dan quinn didn't hesitate he didn't hesitate to bring some blitz packages and you know it was vanilla with a few sprinkles as we like to say there was some flavoring there at times and and it tested the Cardinals, but yeah, how can you not come away from preseason game number one and, and talk about Zayvon Collins, the first run play he's ever faced, and it's a tackle for loss. Just the fact that he knew where to be, that he was able to read and react. Because for all the athleticism in the world, if you don't know where to be or it's one half of a false step, you're not going to be in position to make a play. Well, and the first thing I noticed was that was the first run play, the first play, which was the play before play action and and you did see Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons running up to like hit the gap and oh put the break on now it worked out okay and I think Marcus Golden also got caught on that play and and they swung it outside and Marcus Golden was the outside linebacker there but um, you know those are the things you can I mean when you talk about getting the reps you can't you can't get better than that Ooh, you yeah. had a little sound system going on today. It was uh, before the game. I had to do the two-minute uh, pregame TV interview with Cliff Kingsbury, and my question to the head coach was, all right, how best to describe the challenge that is on the plate of your rookie middle linebacker wearing the green dot and having to call the defense? He said, you know what? It's a notch behind being a rookie quarterback. That's how demanding it is. That's the degree of difficulty that Zayvon Collins is facing here in the preseason trying to get ready for week one at the Titans. And and you know what else? I was talking to someone on the sideline. I just stuck this in right now. The game against the Titans, I think everyone flinches to some degree for two reasons. One, Derrick Henry. Number two, well, you mentioned the play action. But it could be worse in terms of an offense. What if you were going against a Niners offense with all the complexities and the pre-snap motions and all the misdirection? something that Sean McVay excels in as well. What if you were opening with the Rams or the 49ers in those offenses versus a Titans offense? So look, for all its success and its top five rankings and one of the top scoring offenses and the exploits of Derrick Henry, a 2,000-yard rusher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, guess what? I think it's going to be easier for Zayvon Collins in week one to read and react and discern exactly what that offense is doing versus a Kyle Shanahan or a Sean McVay. I think that's fair. Although it's not like you're going to have to, I mean, the 49ers and Rams are both on the schedule fairly quickly after that within a month or so. True. So he's not going to have that much experience when he sees them. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think when we start talking about levels of when it comes to the experience with the Zayvon Collins, let's say, and then the levels of what he has to feel, I don't know if there's that much difference. Like, I don't know if he's if he's uh, how do I want to put this? I'm struggling with the words here, Paul. I, I would say that I don't know if it's that much different for him in his position 
to be going against the Titans as opposed to the 49ers. I don't know if there's that much. There is other motions and, and that kind of stuff, but ultimately I would think NFL play action, if you're getting sucked up on one, you might be getting sucked up on all. And and that's I, – I, I, so I, I, I'm still very interested to in see how he deals with it week one. By the way, I have the Vikings marked down as a decisive W in week two based on what I saw the Vikings or lack thereof against the Broncos. I watched some of that preseason Patrick game. Patrick Peterson's disappointing you, Paul. I mean, the Vikings look horrendous. And once again, I go back to the very top of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. You can only read so much and don't read virtually anything into the preseason, but when the Vikings look that bad, it really does make you wonder as to how exactly their season is going to track. So right now, uh, I have the Cardinals installed as at least a touchdown favorite wow. against the Vikings in week two. I'm just saying. I thought right Kyle there. was the one who went to work for the betting service. Speaking of pre-snap motion, how about Rondell Moore? Yeah. Can you not tell me that the Cardinals did not run those two plays? A little end around, a little handoff, a little jet sweep, get Rondell Moore involved here and there. You can't tell me they didn't put that on film the Tennessee Titans I mean clearly Cliff Kingsbury is just tired of you railing on him Paul about not being able to get some of these things in for the preseason hey Cliff said I'm gonna treat this differently than the last time I was in there the preseason go. and he did and yep. the first it was thing your I question of, by the way you followed up on me talking right. tough by actually delivering and asking the question I'm gonna come clean right now Paul <laughs> and I, I'm gonna say when that guy suggested it uh, on Twitter about hey it was good that the question got asked or Paul asked it, and I'm like <laughs> I did it I didn't follow up on this, but I'm like, I had completely forgotten that part of the podcast conversation. And in reality, um, and I don't know if you heard the whole thing, but like my question wasn't even directly about that. I just said, as a coach, what are you trying to get out of the preseason? We, we always hear about what the players are trying to get. Well, if, as a coach, if you're not game planning, what are you trying to get? And I was actually aiming back towards what he had said earlier in camp where he was saying how he doesn't really like the preseason because he, he likes to be able to open up the playbook and you're not allowed to do that and you can't get all exciting. And then he kind of offered up the, you know, as I've said before, I made a mistake trying to hide stuff, and I thought that was good. And when I saw that play to Rondale Moore where uh, it was the fake quick screen and then the kind of the Statue of Liberty-esque handoff to Rondale Moore, I'm like, that is a play that never, ever would have seen the light of day in the 2019 preseason. No, no. You're absolutely- so when you asked the question, you did not reference 2019? No. You didn't say then and now? No. I just said, what are you trying to get out of it? And okay. and, and props to Cliff. We we – we like to joke about how he doesn't really give us anything, but that was that was a good quote. And and uh, I wish I could say it was in the back of my mind after the mm-hmm. podcast. And I'm just trying to pick up for Paul. And and reality is is uh, sometimes you just you know blind squirrel. You should have put acorn. a you should have put a flex emoji on that response by the way via Twitter. <laughs> That's what you should have done when you took credit for asking the question, as you should have. Here's the thing. He said in that same press conference a little bit later, we're still not going to show very much, right? I did. I mean, it was not a little bit later. I think it was the very next question. (laughs) Here's my conclusion. Look, they're still not showing very much. I think that was about it, the Rondell Moore that you just referenced, we just talked about. But what made 2019 so much worse, I think, is they weren't even themselves. They were actually running a different system than they ever actually intended to run in the regular season. And I think that ultimately is the, quote, mistake that Kingsbury references. I agree with you. I think ultimately it was that they weren't just trying to hide what they were going to do. They were were trying to hide everything, which I don't even know. I mean, 
I don't even know how you pull that off, yeah. which they didn't really. They didn't look very good in that first game, and you know they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants. But so you'll know it was successful, Rondell Moore. What you put on film in the preseason. This is my projection. If on the first series he goes in motion on a jet sweep, whether it's fake or you give him the ball or not, and the entire Titans front seven is pointing and going, there he is, 85, sort of like a Tyreek Hill effect. Mm -hmm. If the whole front seven of the Titans reacts to Rondell Moore in motion, you'll obviously know, okay, it worked. Whatever Cliff Kingsbury put on film in August translated to September and had that desired effect. So, we have our eye on that. Rondell Moore was effective. Three grabs for 23 yards. He had two rushes for 16 yards. And I'll tell you what, you watch, and we just did, you watch the individual drills, and the receivers are going through, you know, the cones and uh, around the trash cans and all this sort of stuff. And there's no doubt he has the elite quickness. That's his area of expertise. Yeah. But the guy right behind him is Greg Dorch. Yeah. And he made a heck of a catch. Yeah, he did. And did he not just cost JoJo Ward his job? Because they're essentially the same type yeah. of receiver, and JoJo Ward, within a few hours of this podcast, had been cut by the Arizona Cardinals. Greg Dorch came in off the streets, and he snagged that. At least for now, he's that guy. Well, it's funny. I mean, look, Greg Dorch and his play isn't the only reason I think JoJo Ward isn't here. JoJo Ward has struggled in camp. I've, he's had way more – I've noticed his drops, and that's not a great sign. Um, because, you know, guys are going to drop some, but if it gets to the point where I'm thinking, wow, you've had a lot of drops, that's a lot of drops. Um, but I, I love what Dorch has done. I asked, I asked Cliff Kingsbury about Greg Dorch last week, um, and, you know, I thought he was making some plays offensively. And then in the game, um, he's the first guy they put back on punt return. Uh, and he's got some wiggle back there as a punt returner. And, again, you mentioned the really good play he had. And then I, I, he has made some inroads. And it's going to be interesting how all that shakes out. I mean, we, we kind of feel like we have an idea. We know the top four receivers. We're all kind of thinking Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson are the other two. I think Kyler really likes Keyshawn Johnson. I think Keyshawn Johnson has had an okay camp. He hasn't been great. And Andy Isabella has barely been on the field because of two stints with COVID. And he's going to miss the first two preseason games. You know, could Greg Dortch make a, make inroads that way? I mean, think about it. Andy Isabella, when the first depth chart came out, was one of the return men. Well, as you mentioned, Dortch does that. If you decide as a coaching staff that it's too risky to put Rondell Moore or Christian Kirk back there, then Dortch would be your guy. Uh, I would agree that he had already caught the coach's eye before the preseason game. Then he made that physical catch in traffic coming back to the ball between two men. He made the one-handed snag on a fade against Byron Murphy Jr. in practice. You just referenced. You can see it on social media. Unbelievable one-handed grab. He has the quicks. So I agree. Is he – Are you going to need to sound the Jaws theme music? And is he coming up from the depths? He just clipped JoJo Ward. Is he going to take a bite out of Keyshawn Johnson? Is he now going to devour Andy Isabella? Andy Isabella isn't out here. Keyshawn Johnson, yeah, he's sort of underwhelmed, I would say. He's been lukewarm, basically, in this camp. So there's no doubt 38 Greg Dorch is a guy you continue to watch as an outsider who might crack the final 53. 
Uh, again, your your issue, and not that Andy Isabella is much bigger. It's Greg Dorch is what five seven and a half. And a half. <laughs> I know you're very painfully aware of those. That's what it says right here in my card. I have I one of these coaches' laminated cards. It has actually the fractional heights on there. So it's five seven three. So five seven and three inches. Does that make him five seven and a quarter? I don't know exactly how to read this. Well, if you're I a GM, understand. how do you read this? I don't know. You have to go to scout school. Yeah, but, I see. Um, yeah, I, I again, I see him as potentially there but but again we've been through one preseason game and, and things can change and um you know you you'll pay attention what i'm curious is is will andy isabella be able to when he comes back be able to hit the ground running um and and make something work here and you know i i think he was having when he has been out there i think he's been solid as a receiver but again you miss all this time and it's not like he's hurt it's covid so I mean, but I, Dave, I can't get past Dave McGinnis. The most important is. ability is availability. Yep. And that's, you know, when you look at some of the guys that have been out and we don't know what the, the problems are because Cliff Kingsbury is not telling what they are. But, I mean, again, Jordan Phillips missed a bunch of time last year. He's missed almost all of camp. We know what J.J. Watt's situation is, and I, I think that's kind of a different kind of deal. But there's some other guys that have – Missed a lot of time, and you start getting, you're like, eh, I really wish they could be out there more. I mean, you know, we did uh, on the pregame show leading into the Friday night uh, game, uh, we did flashing and lacking. Here's our new segment, okay, flashing and lacking. Who's flashing, who's lacking? And I would say in the lacking category, it would be the defensive line, the first and second team defensive line, and it comes down to availability right now. Yeah. Think about it. I mean, uh, you know, this is the Bueller unit right now. I mean, they're missing J.J. Watt, Jordan Phillips, Zach Allen, Rashard Lawrence, Lucky Fotu, Corey Peters. Now, Lucky Fotu has come back off so the COVID Zach, list. So Zach Allen. And Zach Allen too. was back, although I missed him. I did not see 94 out there. I was only yeah, He might have been only out there for, for individuals, so maybe they're slowly working him back. But you're talking about your top, yeah. top right. six defensive linemen. Yeah. So – you talk about guys coming up from the depths. I know Michael Dogby has caught the eye yeah. of a lot of the coaches. He graded out real well, from my understanding. We called David Perry's name a half dozen times in that game. The backup nose tackle with the body mass and body type of Dan the Can Williams, a former first-round nose tackle from years ago. You know, these are guys who could maybe somehow, some way, make a run from, from the bottom up. But, you know, it's part of the whole – you're looking – at the team, and then you're trying to figure, all right, what could be? For example, Cardinals got into the red zone. They had to settle for what ultimately would be a couple of field goals in the red zone. Then they had two longer field goals from Matt Prater. But you look down on the sideline, and you see DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, and James Conner. You think those guys make a difference in the red zone? Probably. A little bit. A little bit. So you have to take that into account. You know what else I thought was lacking? The first-team offensive line. They were okay. They weren't great couple of false starts yeah. by two of your best offensive linemen. There was some pressure by backup defensive linemen by Dallas. Now, should the ball have been out? Yeah. Drew Stan mentioned a couple of times in the broadcast, yeah, that was designed to be a three-step drop and out, and the ball was held because maybe that first or second read was covered and didn't get out quick enough. Okay, I understand that, but I didn't think the first-team offensive line dominated as much as I might have expected in that situation. Well, I mean <sighs> – First game, and you did have, for the most part, the starting offensive line, although we're trying to figure out what's going to happen at right guard, uh, with Justin Murray and Brian Winters and other couple guys that have missed significant parts of camp. Yep. Um, but 
you're also dealing with a backup quarterback. I mean, you talked about would the red zone be different if you had Hopkins and Green and Connor. You know what else it would be make a difference in the red zone is Kyler Murray, <laughs> who <laughs> a little bit. You know, kind yeah. of starts there. So yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think again we hear so much about the preseason being less about play calls and studying and game plans and more about the one-on-one matchups. And when you talk about one, on the offensive line, that's that's all about one-on-one matchups. And, you know, there were little things like one of the things I noticed, unfortunately, was, you know, Sean Cooler was very high when he was talking about Josh Miles last week. And I thought Josh Miles struggled a little bit in that game. And there bit. was one yeah. in particular where he gave up a sack, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, again, this is why – when coaches talk about guys before you start playing, even preseason games, this is why they say, we'll see what happens in the games because things do change in the games and the pressure does ratchet up and you do get kind of a different vibe to it sometimes because you're going against guys that are fighting for jobs and know that people are going to be watching this tape more than anything else. The other outsider, the other unknown that my understanding is excelled uh, interior O-line was Sean Harlow, number 64 out of Oregon State. He's a year removed, so keep an eye on that guy. Although I really don't think there's room for an outsider to crack the offensive no. line room. They are so well, deep. Well, and I agree. I don't know if there's one if there's room for an outsider to crack the defensive line unless they determine unless a guy's so hurt he goes on the IR or they're keeping an extra one because they're worried about whatever but because there's 16 man practice squad like david perry is a good example i mean i don't know if anybody's scooping up david perry if you let him go right and so he's probably on when your practice squad and then he's still around and then you can move him up whenever you want and 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 that's the thing is i think with the giant practice squads and just the way this roster is built i just i feel like it's really i don't know if there's a whole lot of intrigue when you talk about the 53-man roster. All right, I'll give you one position group where there is a lot lot of intrigue, and it's wide open, the tight end room. Yeah, that's true. You tell me, after Max Williams, what exactly are we looking at right now? Well, I think Darrell Daniels is on this team just because, because of what else you're looking for. I I, I thought – I know it was early – um, but Harris, the, the veteran yep. that they just signed, Demetrius I, Harris, I saw him make a couple plays in practice, and I'm like, okay, yes. I could see him sticking around. Yep, yep. And, and you know what? He's pretty stout in some of the one-on-one yeah. blocking drills. He moves well. He seems to have I mean, maybe, soft Maybe hands. if he gets up to speed, maybe he yep. surpasses Darrell Daniels. Uh, honestly, Darrell Daniels, as you mentioned, he's sort of a stalwart. He's established, but – if he was a newcomer and unknown, he hasn't done anything to really separate himself in this camp. I, I would I would tend to agree. So, yeah, I, I agree. Demetrius Harris has himself a couple of catches against Kansas City or maybe in the third and final preseason game, and he really puts something down on film that we've seen in practice. And absolutely, I think there's room for a guy like that to be on the final 53. That's still the position group where I think come final cuts, they're looking. They're scanning the rest of the NFL and the 31 other teams to see who's available. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, what else? How about uh, how about Chris Streveler putting the leveler into Streveler? Was that <laughs> I, not the leveler I, moment when he brought the boom on the six-yard line? You know, I thought as soon as he did that, I'm like, wow, this has got to be a proud papa moment for Paul Calvisi. <laughs> you know, that was my most enjoyable moment. Uh, you know, we, we had some ups. We had some downs. We had some in-betweens on the radio call. Uh, once again, as yours truly makes everyone appreciate the expertise of Dave Pash. <laughs> but uh, the leveler moment was uh, thoroughly enjoyed, no no doubt. I mean, 
I thought again. There's no pressure on Chris Leveler. Or Chris Leveler, Jesus! Now you got me. He'll doing take it. it. No, Chris Streveler. He'll take it um, because it's a preseason game. Um, so I don't. And he's not necessarily executing like your normal pocket quarterback would. But he was entertaining to watch. I'll tell you that. <laughs> he's not. He's willing to. Um, he's willing to run down the field. He'll take a hit. He took that one on the on the play that was blown dead, and the cowboy guy oh. didn't hear him, and he got clobbered. Honestly, I thought the guy should have been ejected for that. I mean, it was pretty. That was pretty bad. Um, I mean, if you're doing points of emphasis in the preseason yeah. and you're trying to send a message, eject the dude who hit level or high late. Yeah, but I mean, he was dishing out punishment when he was running. He threw the ball. I thought a little bit better than he did last year. He looked more comfortable. Again, he's not going against. Aaron Donald and the Rams, right. and, and that would have been a problem. But uh, he also led them on on a game-winning drive. Uh, you know, they didn't score a touchdown. He didn't have to go that far. And the, the one that really, really made me uh, was like, wow, there was a play uh, when uh, it must have been going in – it must have been in the third quarter, and there was a play where he dropped back in the pocket and the rush got there and there was no blocking. And he somehow ducked under a guy that absolutely should have sacked him. It was very athletic. Stepped up in the pocket, looked down, still didn't have anything, and then ran up, uh, ran forward. I don't think it was his big, long run. Maybe it was. No, you know what? I have it right here. Third quarter, good memory because I wrote it down. It was a six-yard run on third and five. Yeah, and it – oh, that's what. That's right. He, yep. And he got the first down. Yep. and. The way he ducked, the way he knew because the guy was coming, the way he got, got under it and then still managed to keep his head about him. And the, and the extra yard came, I mean, he wasn't necessarily going to get there. It was, it was one where he had to plunge forward. He couldn't slide. He was going to have to effort it. And he took the hit, and it, he just barely got it. I was really impressed with that play. I mean, you're not going to find out if the leveler can slide or not because that dude That's ain't true. sliding. That's He's true. going in shoulder pads he, first. He actually said in his press conference this week that uh, he, he actually enjoys being sore after the game, <laughs> especially after a win, he said. That's but. good. That's good. So, uh, yeah, you had that was thoroughly enjoyable. There, there's no doubt but, about that. But see, that. here's your question. Okay, and it's fun to watch in the preseason, but, I mean, if you're the Cardinals, especially with all the – I mean, we, we've been talking about some of these places where they might have to pick and choose and Michael Dogby and a seventh receiver maybe or whatever. Can you afford to have three quarterbacks on the roster? And I don't think there's any question. Colt McCoy is your backup. So are you going to make Chris Steverler be on the uh, roster and then – inactivate him every game or do you try and just get him on the practice squad because you know how many teams are really going to pick him up unless he's a special team star they, they do have him on kick return okay or punt return one of the return teams but no i'm with you i think if given his druthers cliff kingsbury would absolutely like to keep three quarterbacks but is it feasible plausible doable when you think you have a really deep team are you going to use a third quarterback spot for chris Strebler? what are the odds he's picked up and kept on another 53. I think that's fair. You know, so so if you assess, okay, we have a better than not shot of keeping him on the practice squad, guess what? He's going to a 16-man practice squad. I, I would agree with that. And then when you talk about Colt McCoy, I mean, you're not just talking about the backup quarterback, Darren Urban. You're talking about maybe the most important and impactful acquisition of the 2021 offseason, according to Sam Acho. 
Did you see the Sam Acho on ESPN? That feels very uh, Texas centric. I mean, did they play? Did they? No, they didn't play together. They or maybe play. they did. Did they? It was close. I, they might have. Sam Acho might have been a freshman when four-year starter Colt McCoy was a senior. I'm well, not exactly. Well, I sure. can't remember because Sam Acho was the 2011 draft. I don't remember what draft Colt McCoy was in. It's funny because when I mentioned that quote from Sam Acho, former Cardinal, and what he said on ESPN, I mentioned it to Cliff Kingsbury doing some small talk before our TV interview, and he said, "Well, you realize." The connection there. I said, yeah, they're both Longhorns. Yeah, so, that's, that's – you know, come on. Chalk that up. I mean, give me a break. But, but let me, when Cliff Kingsbury goes into a detailed analysis of what Colt McCoy has done for the room, not only yeah. the quarterbacks but the coaches, he has four times as much NFL experience as any of the current coaches, yeah. right, in, in that room. When, when he says that Chris Lever's greatest strides in the last half season, last six months have been in – recognizing, uh, you know, fronts and, and with his pass protections. I mean, that's all because of Colt McCoy and what he's done. Yeah. You know, what was a Skip Bayless hot take by Sam Acho at first, I'm beginning to actually put more credence in. And more and more anecdotally you hear of what Colt McCoy has done for that quarterback room. And then I start thinking of the following, Darren, and you tell me if I'm off the rails here or not. I would never say that. Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer, two all-time greats in recent Cardinals history. Heard of them. Behind the scenes, when it came to game planning, they were invaluable. Yeah. They were almost true. de facto offensive coordinators. And the rest of the offensive staff would wait for their film study on a Monday until Monday night. Okay, Kurt. Okay, Carson. What have you come up with? What are you seeing in our opponent this week? Great. Sounds good. What do you think? And then they would all get in together, huddle up, and devise a game plan. I fully envision that being the case with a Colt McCoy. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I mean, of course, the difference is when you're talking about Warner and, and Palmer, uh, part of the reason they're doing what they're doing is because they're the ones out on the field. Whereas, you know, Kyler is going to have to have his say on what the kinds of things they do to be comfortable. And that's one of the reasons Palmer and Warner did what they did. It was because it was about making sure they were doing what they were comfortable with. But I, I agree with you. Um, and you know, having Colt back there, I think, changes the dynamic of that room. With all due respect to Brett Hundley, uh, I do think Colt McCoy serves that backup role better, uh, not only on the field, uh, but off. Um, and, you know, last year was just tough. You, you uh, For whatever reason, the coaches decided to go with Streveler instead of Hundley in terms of being active all season. Um, That's that, the mystery we never got an answer uh, no, to, by and, the way. And and neither one of those guys is going to be able to, you know, give you what Colt does. Who, by the way, three years was a teammate of Sam Macho. Thanks to Craig Grealu, our, uh, our our producer for the day. There you go. Okay, three so, years. So you know what? I'm starting to believe even more. Then that's uh, that's that's like me saying Paul Calvisi is the greatest play by play guy of all time because no, we work together. No, come on. Are you kidding me? That'd be the one and only time you had something complimentary to say around here about yours truly. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so we know that's concocted. I will work it. And by the so, way, we got a new Kyle coming in. Kevin Parrish, who officially announced it on Twitter, so I, we can talk about it a little bit. Kevin Parrish. Yeah, Kevin. Give Parrish me a scouting report. Uh, I, I, you know what? Uh, I'm just getting to know him a little bit. Uh, he's a tad bit younger than us, Paul. Uh, okay. So, like Kyle Young or even younger? Oh, even younger. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. So, so gonna have we'll, to we'll match have, his energy. We'll have to get him up to speed when he does start, which is still a couple weeks away. And, okay. But I, I eventually want to get this back to a three-man podcast, and you know, first thing we'll do is we'll quiz him on momentum and uh, you know analytics and okay. 
Let's see good. how he feels about it. Well, he can carry my helmet and my shoulder pads and bring the donuts. So that's the first thing you can do, Kevin, when you, when you come into the podcast. And, uh, you know, it's uh, – oh, boy. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, uh, that's good. It's funny that I, I think mean, of that right when we're talking about right. insulting Paul. That's, that's right. right. Hashtag yeah. fresh meat. So bring it on. Bring him in. Let's go. And uh, we'll see what, uh, what sort of take he has, you know. I mean, uh, for example, when he's looking at this team and uh, – he says, you know, Darren gave me a hard time about Chris Strebler, the leveler, and how fired up I was when he made that play. Don't tell me you didn't violate the press box rule and start cheering in the press box when Eno Benjamin had a big <laughs> run and then a touchdown to add to that. And my first thought was, oh, here we go. Here's all the people that have said all along. No, I mean. Yourself included, Mr. ASU. <laughs> well, I will say that, you know, I rooted for Eno many, many times, but I also, when he got drafted here, I was also very realistic in the fact he's a seventh-round pick. That being said, um, you know, I think he sh- he's already shown a bunch in practice. I thought he showed some things in training camp practice last year. We've heard a lot. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury has brought it up multiple times about how he's more focused. Uh, and I have heard some things where it's like they they kind of wanted Eno to kind of kind of rejigger how he looked at things. I mean, we even heard it when he was talking after the game the other day. You know, he's not a football guy outside of football. And, you know, sometimes the football guys that are around, coaches and stuff, sometimes they struggle with that a little bit. So don't, you, you got to come to a happy medium. Don't forget that they track your tablet. Yeah. And they know how much time you're spending in the playbook. Yeah, that's true. Away from team meetings and away Big from the facility. Always watching. Baby. Yep. So you know, it's something that um, always impresses the coaches in terms of. Uh, I, in fact, you know who it was? I was trying to think of the guy who surprised the coaches off the bat. This was years ago, but it was Antonio Cromartie. Oh uh, yeah. And he was a guy they realized, wow, he yeah. really is a grinder. In fact, when I hear Rodney Hudson is that guy who will watch a lot of film. You know, you know who's another guy who I remember who you're thinking, okay, especially with the, his travels as, a, as an NFL player, but I'll never forget, DJ Swearinger was a guy that blew them away with how much yes. he, they, he was on that tablet. Yep. And they knew it. Yep, that's a great recollection. So, Eno Benjamin, look, how do you think the – in terms of total numbers, how many running backs do they keep? Well, I think that's a great question because it goes back to what we're always talking about, which is when you're, when you're, whether you're talking about Greg Dortch and Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson or you're talking about the end of the tight end room or you're talking about the end of uh, the running back. I mean, what kind of special teams can they do? I thought Eno Benjamin looked pretty good as a kickoff returner the other day. So if he can be your kickoff returner and he could be your third running back knowing that you could drop him in as a running back if Edmonds or uh, Connor get dinged up, you know, look, Jonathan Ward's a bigger back. He's he's not quite – he doesn't have the speed of Eno, probably doesn't have the elusiveness of Eno as a running back. But Jonathan Ward is a good special teams player. Yeah. And your assistant head coach is, is your special teams coordinator. And, um, you know, he, he has a say over, over how this goes. I, I think it's going to be tough to keep four running backs – and again, I think Jonathan Ward, he started on the practice squad last year. I could see him being on the practice squad this year. They didn't want to cut Eno last year because they were afraid somebody would take him. And I agree with that. I mean, if unless you're totally done with Eno Benjamin, I think he's got to be on this roster because I think somebody picks him up otherwise. I think somebody picks up both running backs. Maybe. I, my understanding was by the end of August last year that if there would have been preseason games, the coaches were terrified that Jonathan Ward would have been a goner. He would have been picked yeah, up by I someone else that. upon final cuts. But you know what else I think of? I think Andy Isabella. 
I think of, okay, wait a minute. If Rondell Moore and Christian Kirk are too valuable to put back their returning kicks and or punts, and if Greg Dortch, for example, is your punt returner, let's just say, and Eno Benjamin is your kick returner, guess what? That costs Andy Isabella on both fronts. Yeah. That's another – That's a good point. That's another scenario where he's on the outside looking in. Well, again, that's the problem when you're you're not around. I, I don't know what's going to happen in the return game. I, I asked Cliff uh, the other day about, you know, Rondale Moore didn't get any returns on kickoffs or punts. Is that say something? And he kind of deferred and say we got it's all fluid and we got a long way to go. The things that right. you know Cliff says about such things, but you do have to wonder if they're going to be willing to put him back there because I would think that the other thing about that is like if you are willing to put him back there, let's say if you're Jeff Rogers and you're and you guys are willing to put Rondale Moore, that that gives you a little bit more elbow room of who might, might else you keep and why you might yeah. keep them. If memory serves 2019 preseason, Christian Kirk didn't return any punts in the preseason, and then the regular season yeah. he was the guy. So, And that's very possible. It, they could do that again. Then again, you know, maybe he is protecting guys. I don't know. Christian Kirk made the big 35-yard reception down the near sideline against Kelvin Joseph, by the way. No scrub, a guy who's been a star of Cowboys camp from our understanding. Everything you've read about Cowboys camp, Kelvin Joseph has really shined the round two pick out of Kentucky. And Christian Kirk beat him decisively. Ball was right on the money from Cole McCoy. And then and – then, great, great throw by Cole McCoy. Great, great throw. And then Cliff Kingsbury told us after the game, I asked him, he said, absolutely. As soon as he made that catch, I yelled down the sideline, get him out. Yep. He's done. Just yep. just get him out. So Christian Kirk showed well in that one. Uh, I thought Chase Edmonds looked quick. He's looked quick in practice. Chase Edmonds actually played more than I thought he would in that preseason yeah, game. Yeah, I got to be honest. We kind of talked about that last week. He did play longer than I thought. Yeah, so I'm not sure what his future holds, but he's regular season ready based on what we see. Uh, and then Matt Prater, obviously, four for four. So that he, was – He can kick off, by the way, yes. Paul. I just thought I'd mention that. Okay, so did someone – I failed to – I wrote it down, and then we didn't have time. I wanted to have Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury after the game in our one-on-one on the radio side about – Hey, what's the deal with Prater? Uh, much ado about nothing when it comes to leg strength and not having kicked off since 2013 because he was pretty convincing, right? Uh, there's no question. And his first kick, which I believe went deep into the end zone and for a touchback, I'm like, what were we even talking about? And you know what he yeah. said? He said, I can do this. So now we see right. – and now I just wonder right. why, why he hasn't right. been doing it for eight years. Yeah, and, and, and he looked at everyone with sort of that, you know, sort of that, that scoff, right? Look, guys, I can handle this. Spoken like a guy going into his 15th season, like uh, don't, yeah. don't question I, that, me. Actually, I do. Yeah. <laughs> that is the kind of the feeling, <laughs> like how dare you? Yeah. So, okay, he's regular season ready. Guys like Chase regular season ready. Christian Kirk is good to go. Uh, what about the guys we haven't seen? What about some of these injuries? What about uh, Jordan Phillips? What about a, a Rashard Lawrence? What, what are we thinking with all these uh, – J.J. Watt, who we've been reassured multiple times, don't worry about it. When you're set to go week one, 99 will be there. Okay, all right. Are, are we buying this? Are, are, we finding, are we feeling pretty reassured that, okay, they're going to have all these guys ready to go when it's go time? Well – I know, uh, I know the great Dave Pash had J.J. Watt tell him, I'm absolute, quote, absolutely That's right. going to be ready for the regular season. I, I, I could see the J.J. Watt thing being literally, why, why are we going to practice this guy? Like maybe he would have been, he's probably pretty okay by now, but let's just not be dumb. 
I, I'm not going to lie. The Jordan Phillips thing kind of makes me wonder a little bit just because he missed so much time last year, and you, and you got to wonder. And this is the problem when you don't know about injuries is you're not sure what we're talking about. I mean, if he sprained his knee, he was probably going to miss the month anyways, and we just don't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, if he hurt his hamstring again, which is what – kept him out for significant parts last year, then you start getting worried, oh, my God, is this hamstring going to be this problem over and over? Uh, we don't know what's wrong with Rashard Lawrence, but he missed a bunch of time last year. Is it is it the ankle again? Um, you know, those are the things. Yeah, right guard. Uh, Justin Murray and Brian Winters. Yeah. We don't well, really at have what a point, sense either Cliff, way, do we? Cliff, and I forgot to look it up. I haven't looked it up yet. Maybe uh, the great Craig Grealu can while we're talking, but um, – Cliff at one point intimated that whatever's bothering Brian Winters um, had to do with, and now Craig's saying it's a knee, was something he was dealing with last year. At one point he said it's the same thing he's dealing with from last year. So maybe that's a knee thing and, hey, you're a veteran and you don't, you don't want to push it this early. You got arrested. I don't know. I don't know what's up with Justin Murray, but I do think going into this, Josh Jones was third in their, in their planned choice to be in that mix and we'll see if he can make a push. And now he's de facto starter because those other guys just aren't around. Well, Brian Winters, you know, maybe it's from pulling those buses or those Mack trucks with a rope. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not all the strong man competition. I'm not sure. I don't sure. think you hurt yourself. <laughs> you know, so uh, I'd be, I'd be hard pressed to pull a lawnmower at this point. Um, so, all right, you have that. Uh, you have uh, some of those situations where you don't know are the injuries is it just sort of a long preseason and now you're a veteran and after a lack of a preseason a year ago guess what we're going to really err on the side of caution with some of these guys and what's going to make it more intriguing for fans to figure out is that practices are now closed for the yeah, most that's part true <laughs> so. they're closed and so not only are fans not going to be here but we're not allowed to say much about anything after 20 minutes of practice, which includes stretching and a little bit of the individual drills. So um, most of our analysis will be coming through what you see in the games, and, and at least there's games. I mean, last year we had to do it, Paul, when the practices were closed and we couldn't say anything, and there were no games. So you were right. really kind of hamstrung. Yep. At least now we know when we get to games we can talk about who's in what depth chart position and all those things. and. And you know what? It's going to be intriguing against the Chiefs because Andy Reid is known for playing his starters. Yes. And, and he did it actually in preseason game number one. Their starting offensive line went three series, like the Cardinals went two. Mahomes actually went a series against the 49ers. Man, Trey Lance looked up and down, did he not? He looked like a rookie yeah, making rookie. his first start. All those guys do. I, I mean, mean, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Let's let's not crown them. I mean, not Minnesota Vikings bad in the preseason, <laughs> but it, it wasn't good. At least I thought, and I know – they cited multiple times that there were three drops, but um, yeah, there was also some really poor footwork and some uh, horrendous accuracy by Trey Lance. So we'll see what the 49ers are thinking because you can't tell me if Trey Lance all of a sudden came on as a rookie like Russell Wilson did once upon a time or something akin to that, they wouldn't cut Jimmy G in a minute and save $25 million and only take a $4 million cap hit. They, they very well could. I think they'd love to be able to trade Jimmy G. I don't see that happening. I, I will say this. When you talk about whether it's Justin Fields or, or in this case, Trey Lance, Trey Lance is probably the, the best example here because the 49ers, we feel, have a pretty good team depending on how their quarterback plays. Yep. And uh, what people forget is, like, the, the rookies that have come in and done really well, Ben Roethlisberger went 15-1 and – as a rookie. Russell Wilson, of course, shocked everybody, was the starter for Matt Flynn. But uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I agree with this, and this 
this isn't that next level, but those guys weren't they weren't Patrick Mahomes in those years. What Russell Wilson and Ben Roethlisberger were those first few years of their career were game managers. They weren't asked to do anything. Their defenses were really good. Their running games were really good. And they were asked. Russell Wilson wasn't Russell Wilson from 2012 to 2015. That was a team that was led by the Legion of Boom and that defense and that run game. Russell Wilson wasn't, I mean, nobody was saying let Russ cook in 2013. (laughs) No. And no. Ben Roethlisberger became a very good passing quarterback, but that wasn't him back in whatever year that was, 20, 2000, whatever, when they went 15-1. and one. Uh, That's just not who he was. That would have been 2004 um, because he was the same year as Fitz. So, you know, if Trey Lance starts, I mean, you better have the team around him. It's funny. Everybody talks about Jimmy G not being that guy to take you all the way. But if you to me if you start Trey Lance, that's what you're you're putting a quarterback in there just like that. I mean, they're different quarterbacks and maybe you want to grow a Trey Lance and maybe all things being equal you want to start the guy younger. But the reality is is you, the rest of your team if you want to go to the Super Bowl is going to be have to be what takes you to the Super Bowl. It's not going to be a quarterback play. You know, Dan Quinn now the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys and uh, it was interesting because in doing a little bit of research getting ready for the game and then it went back okay what years was he the Seahawks defensive coordinator well it was 13 and 14 yeah. the legion of boom yeah. in their prime yeah. those years they they allowed just over 15 points per game think about that think i mean that in today's game that would be remarkable to yeah. have a defense allowing just over 15 points per game that's how dominant defensively were to back up your point yeah they didn't need an all pro russell wilson at, at that point to be the guy so yeah it, it is intriguing to see exactly which direction uh the niners are going to go when you hear that oh jimmy g's had an unbelievable camp and he's making play after play after play and so forth okay is that because that's the truth or is that because all of a sudden john lynch wants to pump up the value of a uh, a Jimmy G for the trade market, right? So uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's intriguing to see, and uh, you know, for Cardinals, I think we're gonna see Kyler Murray, I think, in one of these preseason games, but it's not an absolute either, is it? No, I would think he'd get some kind of snaps, but I don't know when. Again, the thing again that's gonna keep throwing me is that third preseason game being on turf, and I would just be leery. I'd be leery. And it's not like it's the old Astro turf no, that you say, but but, it, but it's uh, yeah, it, it does it does give you a pause. There's no doubt about it. So, all right. Well, look, you know, more leveler uh, isn't necessarily a bad thing in my book, at least. So, uh, did you, you know, see the Folktales trailer? Paul? I did see the trailer. Okay, I'm just making I did see sure. the trailer. Oh yeah, I want to make sure everybody listening has seen the trailer too. And I've seen enough raw footage to know. Oh my goodness, that's going to be appointment viewing. Yes. I don't know if the two words are appointment viewing or must watch or both, but. No, it's going to be good. No doubt about it. Well, appointment viewing kind of makes it sound like you'd have to make an appointment. And I don't, I think it'll just, you know, you can see it on YouTube. That's true. So at your convenience, you know, you can just dial it up. On demand, I believe is the word the kids are using today. Where are you, by the way, in the process of, uh, (laughs) of the Monday night meltdown piece, by the way? Uh, That is not uh, to sound like your mom or anything, but where are you exactly with your homework? That actually, that video is like almost done. That's, that's the one that's all, of course, that's not going to be out until late in the season when the Cardinals play the bears, but. The first one up is is legendary locker Pat Tillman. Pat Tillman. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that should be. Uh, I mean, and you're always reminded when you talk about Eno Benjamin, 
He's the first Arizona State player drafted by the Arizona Cardinals since Pat Tillman. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, think, you know, it is remarkable. Both seventh-round guys, by the way. So, and some of the footage, and I think some of it was in the trailer. Wasn't there a big hit by Tillman yeah. in Flagstaff in the trailer? Although, if you watch that footage, the best part about it, it's a giant hit. And I, I watched the trailer way too many times. Tim, Tim Delaney did a great job putting it together. But if you watch that trailer, he it looks like a tight end. He's drilling, okay? And he drills him, and the ball pops out. But if you watch, the guy catches it. Tillman drills him, and the ball pops in the air. And I'm pretty sure the guy catches it before it hits the ground. So it's still a catch. <laughs> I, I was like, right. wow, that was a heck right. of a play by that guy, right. whoever it was. Right. But it just reminds you. His philosophy, his game plan in making that team as a seventh-round tweener was just to hit anything and well, everything as it moved. And it absolutely, seeing it, in the because that's a Sky Dome shot up in Flagstaff, it absolutely underscores how different training camp is now than compared oh. to when Pat Tillman was around. Because oh, I mean, that kind of hitting does yeah. not happen anymore. And there were two-a-days in pads yeah. back in those days. Yeah. And even though it really wasn't that long ago, uh, yeah, it was eons ago in terms of the style and the way the game is played. Speaking of Flagstaff, and I, I, I need, I want to throw this out there. We don't get to, I don't get a chance to talk to Kyle Vandenbosch a lot, and sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Craig, feel free to bring this up with Kyle Vandenbosch, but at some point, you guys needed to have him tell this, the training camp story in the air when he got in a fist fight with Leonard Davis. Ooh, I did not know that. And actually. Leonard Davis ended up breaking a finger or something. I remember, I, I it was like 2001, maybe. Yeah, the two of them got in a got in a fight. And I'm thinking I'd I'd pay to see Leonard Davis and prime Kyle Vandenbosch. All right, we'll leave it with this. Darren Urban, Craig Grigolo, yours truly, Pauly preseason. Have you ever stood next to more of a mountain of a man than Leonard Davis? I'm not saying necessarily taller. I'm just saying more of a mountain of a man who took up more airspace and more body mass than Leonard Davis. Big Len was a, a big boy. I mean, I was, I was a fan of Leonard I Davis. Mean, Calais is a giant, but not in the way Leonard Davis no. is. <laughs> I, can, I can't think of I can't think of anyone. But but then again, I'm not a small man. I'm six three one ninety, and I remember standing next to uh, Matt Ware in pads one time. Matt Ware, who's a safety, but he was like six four two twenty five, and he's in mm. pads. And I remember standing next to him, going, "This is an NFL safety. I would never get on that field." <laughs> Well, you know better than anyone, uh, that was the welcome to the NFL moment for so many rookies back in Adrian Wilson's day. Yeah. They would walk in and go, that guy's a safety? Uh, well, okay. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even want to step anywhere with Dub these days. He still yeah. looks like he could pop yeah. somebody. Yeah. So, uh, okay. There you go. Well, you know, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, KVB is going to have to tell his uh, camp fight story. And, uh, and we'll get that on. Craig Grillo is going to have to deliver, or we'll just bring him in as a special guest. I like that. Here on Cardinals Underground, all brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.